Hey everybody, welcome to the Sanctus Forum. I am Michael Stewart-Rob, better known as Mike. What is God like? It's a child's question. Maybe if you've had children or been around them, they may have tried to stump you with that one. I don't think that's their intention. But it's a good question. It's not only a, a child's question, it's an adult question. And that's because it's because the quality of our life depends upon what we think of God. Well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be using Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. This is my first uh, oldest copy. Um, believe it or not, there are at least two other copies in this house of this book. In, in this edition, but this is the old one. And we're in chapter three here, just talking about this book with guests. I've got today with me Trevor Hudson. I'll introduce him in a second, but um, chapter three here, I have written in this um, quite a bit, and um, I don't know, I may have written it in it too much to actually be able to pay attention to it. Just so you know, this is one of those longer podcast-like conversations. So if video isn't the right medium for this, there is a podcast audio-only version of it, which you can find by looking up the Sanctus Forum in whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Something else that you should do while you're Googling for that sort of stuff is check out our website, sanctus.institute, where you will find um, a sign-up form for our newsletter, which is the absolute best way to stay in contact with us. And I just want to extend a particular invitation to any Europeans who might be listening to this. Sanctus is a European institute, and we, you know, if you like Dallas Willard and you live in Europe, then we want to know you. And we hope you want to know us. But it's something that we are particularly doing for people who live with us on this um, continent and a special invitation to you to keep in touch with us. And if you do want to support what we do here, you can become what we call a friend. And those are people who um, um, give and pray for our, our little institute. And friends receive a free gift this year. 2022. Um, I'll, I'll go get a copy. This here is the free gift. Something to say, a comprehensive bibliography of Dallas Willard. Um, yeah, check out the website if you are interested in, well, particularly being somebody that helps us stay afloat, as well as getting a kind of book that Helps you go deeper into Dallas Willard. Trevor Hudson is our guest today. And Trevor is a former Methodist pastor. 
not exactly former. He's still a Methodist. He's still a pastor at heart, but he has been um, been a pastor of churches for a good number of years. And he's been retired for six years, um, but has continued teaching and leading retreats. He is one of the teachers for the Renovare Institute, as well as a few other initiatives that are similar spiritual formation based initiatives. He helps to train um, people in the Ignatian exercises, um, works in conjunction with the Jesuits in South Africa, as well as lots of other non-Jesuits who are excited about Ignatius of Loyola. He still does um, individual accompaniment for people, and he is an author of a number of books. I've got, I've got some of them here. I don't see them at the moment. Well, there's some, there's some good ones. He's got one coming out um, this year in September called Seeking God. I've already forgot the subtitle. Something Journey with Dallas Willard and Ignatius will ask him because he's here right now. Hi, Trevor. Welcome. I'm Mike. Yeah, really great to be with you. Uh, it's a it's a nervous privilege to be your guest uh, on Sanctus today, and and just but it's a real joy just to be part of your work in Europe. I, I I've just for ye- for a few years now I I've prayed for you and Katarina in what you're doing, and just to be part of this is a a massive privilege. Thank you so much. Well, it is a privilege for us, um, particularly um, with what we're going to talk about here. Um, I botched the end of your book. I think it did pretty well with everything else that I wanted to say about you, but it help did. us with the full title. <laughs> right. It's, 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 it's going to be published by Nav Press in September. It's called Seeking God and the strapline Finding Another Kind of Life with St. Ignatius and Dallas Willard. Okay. Um, I haven't read a word of it, um, but I think there are some some videos in which you give um, some of the ideas from it. Isn't that right? Correct. Yes, there is on the Conversatio website. Okay. Um, there's, I think, I think there are five or six videos where I give some of the seminal ideas that are part of each chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you can't wait until September, um, I, I guess I'll provide a link in the description and then you can go over and check out these videos. There is also lots of really good Trevor Hudson content um, to be found online. And so just um, Google him uh, a little bit and you'll find some some wonderful um, teachings. Now, um, Trevor, your book kind of tips it off here, the upcoming book that is. Um, Ignatius and Dallas Willard have been pretty big figures in your life. Um, we might have to save the Ignatian one for another another video, but um, Dallas Willard, how, how does uh, a guy from South Africa find this fairly unknown professor in Los Angeles. 
Well, I've often wondered about that myself, but you know, the um, the story begins with me getting mumps, <laughs> and I laid up in bed uh, in 19, I think this is 1985, and um, I'm needing some audio cassette tapes to pass the time, and someone, someone gets to me uh, a set of his tapes that he had done, I think about a year previously, when he had been invited to Durban in South Africa by African Enterprise, a mission organization. And I just listened to these tapes and they really, really, um, they touched me very deeply. And I had the audacity to send him a, a letter to just say thank you. And um, just to share my gratitude for, you know, for his words, which really had touched my heart very, very deeply. And, uh, and, um, I asked whether he would come out and spend some time with us here in our country. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have much to offer him, uh, but he he came, and uh, that began a, a friendship that was profoundly formative in my own life. Hmm. So that's that's how it began. That's what brought. Um, our little town of Benoni and Los Angeles together. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, let me add a few other pieces to that story because I, I study um, Dallas's life and um, there are a few things about it, such as how he got to Durban, you said, um, to to teach for um, a, re a retreat um that African Enterprises was doing. He did this with a man named James Houston, who was also there at the same time and who has gone on to write uh, a number of books in very similar areas as, as Dallas Willard. Um, at this time, 1985 is when it was, Dallas, he's published a book, but it's a very small publisher. Um, and so it's still a bit of a mystery how he got into that that international work. Um, maybe his friend Richard Foster had suggested him, mm. um, but you can hear, if you listen to those recordings from 1985, um, the, the ideas that then show up in The Spirit of the Disciplines, published a few years later. The book mm. was, was largely written by that time um, and so I'm not sure about exactly kind of which which came first in that, but um, there's clearly a similar path. Yes, uh, I think I, I think I think that your guess that that perhaps Richard uh, had maybe suggested to um, you know to mm -hmm. Michael Cassidy uh, of Africa Enterprise, I think that guess. I think that guess is a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you invited him, this is 1987 in this in this summer. Well, in in our summer, right. in your your winter to come to teach. It's like 
three or four weeks and you had booked him solid in you know <laughs> speaking in different churches and different parts of the country and he had never really done that kind of thing like just constant teaching different churches right. and that sure. he had done it in for philosophy but um, it was really a time for him to put together some ideas uh, right. for pastors and ministers right. that he then used for the final, what what would it be, 25 years of his life. Um, and, and you can really, find... Go ahead. No, and it really was a very intensive... It was... You know, he just kept, he said to me, uh, Trevor, put me to work. Um, I'm not coming to, you know, I'm not coming as a tourist. Uh, so put me to work. And he quite literally, for th those weeks that he was here, he quite literally taught uh, uh, morning, afternoon, and evening. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those um, talks have been preserved. You can find them on conversatio.com. Org, um, and Trevor helped us collect a lot of those tapes. And, you know, if there's anybody listening here from South Africa now, there are more tapes of Dallas speaking in South Africa. And if you, you've you got a treasure trove or a little box of tapes, then get in touch with the folks at Conversatio and, um, and uh, we'll take a look and see if we've got something there. Speaking of that... Trevor, as a reminder, I'm, and I'll do this. Yes, I there, know, you, I know, there, I know what you, I know what you're going to say. I've got a word of knowledge. <laughs> you want? He gave. He he shared his formation of his own faith and a little bit of of why he follows Jesus. And I've got that. I've got that. I think it's a CD. I have okay. that. Uh, I I have that in the drawer just down the corridor. All right. I will get we'll that. Talk. I will get that to you. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, well, uh, maybe we'll get into a little bit more of your story with Dallas, but I do want to turn to our um, our part of the book. Um, like I said, this is chapter three, the very first section where Dallas presumes to talk about God, what what God is like. Who are we dealing with? And um, he, the very last um, page of this section, for me, that's 66, very last sentence, he talks about having a mental blank where God is supposed to be and how, how, how that really won't help us. <laughs> Yeah, I think Dallas really, you know, I think uh, he really had this very, very deep conviction and it gets expressed very uh, clearly in this chapter that, uh, you know, that what we, that what we think about God, or as I sometimes maybe say, our picture of God, um, that it really affects every dimension of our own lives. Um, uh, profoundly mm. and uh, and I often think you know of I think it's William Temple's words he was a, a British 
a British uh, churchman or theologian from the last century, I think you once said, you know, that if we have a negative picture of God, the more religious we get, the worse, the worse it gets. And in the end, it may be better if we are atheists. And that's hmm. a very could you know, that could be an overstatement, but it's a very a strong statement um, in terms of the importance of thinking about what God is like. Yeah. Yeah. And it, re it reminds me of um, a, a, a thought that's often given to atheists. Um, the invitation to, you know, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And, and then I won't believe sure. in them as well. That usually sure. we have X'd out a God that isn't, well, let's be careful, that, that doesn't have much connection to Jesus and Jesus's people. Sure, sure. I think that 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 often happens, and I think that's a, I think that's a very helpful and creative way to engage in conversation uh, mm -hmm. with someone, perhaps who who says, "I don't believe in God," mm -hmm. and uh, it, it. I think that kind of response, I think, does often facilitate. Uh, a fairly creative conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were privileged to get to see this book in draft form, right? Yes, I would get uh, sent through the mail, uh, chapter after chapter. Uh, and I had the yeah, the real the real privilege of you know just reading these chapters over and over and over again, hmm. and then daring to make a response uh, to Dallas about them, uh, mm -hmm. and I guess mm -hmm. the the chapter that perhaps really created a certain sense of um, a certain kind of fairly sharp reaction in myself was chapter three the what the you know uh, and particularly mm. the, the section that you have invited me to to talk about with you okay well give it to us what's what's wrong with this this section no what's... no 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 I, i'm not I, i'm not saying what's wrong I'm, I'm i'm what i am saying is what evoked a very strong reaction in me uh, you know right. there's there's just that once that one sentence you know where dallas says you know that god is the most joyous being in the whole universe mm. um and uh and that sentence kind of you know it really landed in my life and kind of reverberated <laughs> um, because well first of all I hadn't ever thought that before um, I was also reading the chapter through South African eyes um, mm -hmm. you know we're we're in the middle of a, of, the, of a state of emergency a state of um, you know one of the most evil policies 
of, you know, that we've witnessed in our world, the policy of apartheid, immense suffering. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, how can God be the most joyous being in the universe when this is going on at this point in our own history? Mm-hmm. And I just felt that if, you know, if I were to say that publicly, it would almost kind of reinforce a kind of perspective um, by people who were really, really suffering, um, at, you know, as a consequence of that policy. It, it could reinforce a view that, that God doesn't really care, you know, how can God be happy while we're in this particular, in this particular struggle? So mm-hmm. for that, for the, that was certainly one of the reasons I think there was a reaction to that statement. And I think, I guess, on the other hand, and I, I think I've mentioned this somewhere, I wasn't particularly high on the, on the joy meter myself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've had my temperament has been on the side towards, you know, the seriousness of life. I, I do feel, I have felt, I continue to feel sometimes the senselessness of, of suffering around us and, uh, and also have a temperament sometimes that leans towards being discontent. Um, mm. And so I think, you know, for a variety of reasons, I hope this communicates why that sentence, you know, didn't meet with immediate acceptance and resonance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was was the source of a a reaction. And so yeah. I, and so I, uh, I, I, when I had an opportunity, I was on a drive with Dallas, and uh, I took a risk of sharing as honestly as I could my 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 struggle with the third chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm in preparation for discussing this. I tried to remember how I felt when I first read this section. And I can't say that I reacted sharply. That's, that's not accurate, but I do think that that, that paragraph that you quoted from, and for me, it's on page 62 in the, well, it's the first full paragraph from the bottom. Let me just read it. I'll just read it so we have it. We should, to begin with, think that God leads a very interesting life and that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. Hmm. That's what, a was your, what was your response, uh, Mike? When, how did it land for you? It was very novel. Uh. That was not the presentation of God that, and I grew up in the church, so 
um, I grew up with sermons around me and people teaching about God and with family members teaching about God. And, and that was not, that was not part of the curriculum. Sure. <laughs> and I remember feeling attracted uh-huh. to um, God more mm-hmm. with that perspective. Right. Oh, that's a lovely word, attracted. Uh, the, because I know, I know it was so much part of Dallas's, uh, I think, desire as a teacher to present to present God as one who is lovable mm-hmm. and who does and who does attract uh, and that's just a very beautiful word to be attracted to God yeah uh, uh, and certainly certainly and let me also just quickly say that you know that my immediate reaction is not the place where I have remained um, mm. for the last odd, you know, twenty odd, thirty odd years. Um, there has there's been you know it has there's I think that sentence um, was catalytic for me in terms of my own journey of learning to think about God perhaps in in a different and and in and in helpful ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since i read this i have well it's not really a conscious thing but every time something similar to this shows up in what i'm reading it, i always take note of it and just to sort of I don't, you probably don't need this, uh, Trevor, but just show people listening, watching, um, that Dallas is not out on a limb here. Um, I brought a couple of the books and this one here is, uh, the life of God and the soul of man by Uh Henry Skugel. And he has a very clear statement. I'll see if I'll find it. Um, page 77 at least in my, there it is. It should delight us beyond all expression to consider that the beloved of our souls, God, is infinitely happy in himself. Hmm. Right? Hmm. And then uh, somebody else here, this is uh, Charles Finney, um, his systematic theology, and here, page 142, for me, um, I think it's lecture nine. Enjoyment is in fact the ultimate good. It is in fact the result of existence and of action. It results to God from his existence, his attributes, his activity, and his virtue by a law of necessity. Uh, I, um, as I listen to you, Mark, with those with those very powerful sentences, I continue I continue to wonder 
how those words land in the heart of someone who has suffered great evil. Hmm. Um, and I know, you know, that that opens the door to a major philosophical, theological discussion around the problem of evil, which I don't necessarily want to, uh, be, um, you know, talk about. But I, I, how, how those words land in mm. someone's life who, who, who really does suffer very, very deeply. Um, and I don't, and certainly I don't want to now where I'm uh, sitting now, and I don't want to lose the joy of God at all. And I don't want to lose the invitation to enter into that joy at all. I wonder if there is anything else that we need to say about God as well, in addition to that. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I guess that has, that has been my own... Um, that has been my own. No, you were saying in your introduction that I've been a pastor. Um, that has, at one level, been my pastoral um, theological task hmm. um, for years and years and years. So yeah, I so I don't know how you respond either to my um, to my wondering whether there is anything more that needs to be said about mm. who God is besides mm. God is the most joyous being in the whole universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that your question of how do statements like that land with people who are in the midst of great suffering um, or have some trauma in their past? Um, that's a good question to work individually with people on. And sure. yeah. I'll say how those sorts of things landed with me in the midst of my sure. albeit perhaps relatively less sure. traumatic suffering um, I think that they were for me a great relief uh -huh. Uh -huh. to discover that at the bottom of the universe was something better uh -huh. than what I was experiencing. Right, right. Uh -huh. And I have to say, I most of my suffering in life was suffering in connection with God. I had some relationship with Him. Sure. And um, so there was a sense of walking together with him 
um, in a direction where things lead to much better places. Mm. Um, and I think Dallas gets mm. it gets into this later in the chapter, what I'm thinking about, and hopefully what other people are thinking about, where he starts talking about the... He starts talking flippantly about death. Sure. And you start to realize that what we're holding on to here is is not the end of is not the end of things. Now, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm touched by some words that you used just as you were speaking now when you said that, that when you were, when you reflect upon your own experience of pain and suffering, that these words, and I, I hope I can, uh, I'm being faithful to what you said, came as a measure of relief mm. that, that, that at the heart of this universe, as it were, there was something, someone better uh, than the experience of suffering and pain. And, and, I, and I'm touched by that uh, witness um, yeah. that, you, that you offer me and those, uh, those watching, listening. Um, and I think for me, just if I may take the liberty of responding as well, you know, yeah. that I think for me, the, fi the figure of Jesus himself and has been, you know, immensely helpful for me to really immerse myself in his own, in his own life and death and resurrection. Um, you know, with the conviction that, that Jesus reveals to us the kind of ultimately and definitively what God is like and who God is like. Um, and so when I follow Jesus through the Gospels, there seems to be in Jesus this incredible capacity to weep with, to suffer with, to cry mm. with, to share in the sufferings of, you know, I think the Isaiah, a man acquainted with sorrows, and yet also at the same time, that doesn't rob Jesus of this immense capacity for joy, <laughs> which, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is kind of just runs throughout the Gospels. And so there is a sense in which and this is what this chapter sparked for me. It sparked a kind of re-engagement with Jesus, both in terms of his capacity to suffer with, as well as his capacity to be remarkably joyful. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that as I followed him, joy wins out in the end. Uh, that there's a sense in which joy, in the joy of Jesus wraps its arms around the pain and the suffering. Um, and so I kind of catch a glimpse of the divine heart that both 
empathizes, suffers maybe, and I know that's a very big word theologically to use of God, that of a God who weeps with and yet a God who is also the most joyous being in the universe at the same yeah. time. So I think yeah. that's that's how the journey has, has unfolded for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, I think of this refrain that you get in the Old Testament. Uh, the Lord is gracious and, what is it? Compassionate. Compassionate, merciful, compassionate yeah. mainly, yeah. Slow to anger and rich right. in love, abounding in love. Right. Um, and it shows up in a number of different places in in Scripture. Um, and I think God didn't want people to have to wait to get to Jesus before he showed them his heart Mm. and of Mm. course Jesus just focuses this so well and those stories help focus that compassion of God so well Mm. in ways that the history of Israel can't do Um, and um, we as a Human race need a lot of compassion. I mean, I think, I was thinking this morning of how difficult life has been for humanity over the centuries and millennia. And things that we, you know, the difficulties of the um, coronavirus are rather mild when you look at, I mean, there, medical practice 150 years ago was laughable for us now, the things that they would do to people that were sick. Sure. Um, and so we have been always uh, a species that's that's really had a hard time on this planet. Um, And so uh, compassion, graciousness, uh, mercy have, um, have, have been how God has presented himself to us. Yeah. And I think there is, I think there is, and this is coming to me for the first time ever as I listen to you, Mike. There is in the word compassion, and particularly in my own understanding of how that word is used in the Old Testament, there is related to that word compassion both both the ingredients of joy as well as the ingredients of suffering with or being with in in pain 
that that is a word that does hold for me certainly you know that it it embraces the joy and the pain and those themes of of human life that somehow god's compassion holds both joy and being with us in our in our in our pain yep yep you you gave a little hint about how and so did i i suppose about how we might start to conceive of god in those ways because you know maybe people listening um don't see compassion or joy in in god and um uh but you you gave a hint you talked about uh immersing yourself in the stories of jesus um as one way of doing this could you i didn't think i was going to ask you this but could you help us understand how that works psychologically like you read a story that involves jesus's tears and how does reading that story move a person to a point of thinking of of believing god's compassion or believing god's joy or whatever the the character trait is because <sighs> i guess to maybe to be the to put myself on the other extreme i mean i people read these stories and they think you know great uh uh that's what jesus did i guess nothing happens yeah thank you thank you mike um let me let me seek to respond as honestly as i can um for me living let let me say living with a strong image of jesus i think it begins at at one level to it just begins at one level at a very deep level to to shape my imaginative life it it becomes it becomes an image that i carry around with me it it begins to it begins to um permeate more and more levels of my own consciousness hmm. and that is an ongoing steady process hmm. affecting affecting the way that i respond to life and also respond to god i also want to say on the other hand that that jesus himself has a way that jesus himself has a way of 
of his own presence of slipping into our lives through that image. So, mm. so while the image itself is not the reality of Jesus, mm -hmm. it, 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 for the living reality of Jesus and Jesus's presence to become more real within me. You know, Jesus himself said he would dwell in his own words. I think we could quite, I think we can say Jesus dwells in those images that we have about him. Now, and I'm not wanting to I'm not wanting to collapse everything. The image is not the reality, but for that um, as I reflect on my own journey with Jesus, the 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 living Jesus has, the, and I'm using a bad theological word here, has slipped into my life through the mm. image, and mm. I come and I and I come to know that by some of the effects of his living presence in my life. Um, so, and so I, 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 I wonder, ah, oh, I, I think Jesus did this in my life, uh, or mm -hmm. he has shifted this in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I see traces of his, of his living presence beginning to reveal itself in my life. And they might be very small shifts, um, but they are shifts that I put down to his living presence. Hmm. Hmm. So that's the best I can do in terms of that question that you asked, which I find a very, um, a very helpful question. Hmm. Yeah, what what I think was brilliantly said and opens my eyes some is that you notice that it is the living Christ doing it when you see the effects that it has in your life. Sure. That it's not just a kind of theological yeah. brainwashing, sure. But you see, yeah. yeah, you're living differently, thinking sure. about things differently. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been one of the strongest, strongest. You know, we're we're encouraged in the Bible to give. Um, you know, to, to say something about the hope that is in us. Uh, and that is one of the strongest foundations of my hope hmm. is, is the noticing of those shifts that I can only put down to the living Christ. So what I'm thinking about now is again this um a section here that we were discussing um and 
Dallas's interest in in language and I'll even use the word theory that helps us make sense of who God is. And I I think I I do wonder if all we had were moments of inspiration, perhaps impressions of God's face, his compassion, his joy, such as Dallas describes here, his sense of happiness for God, a moment of going to a beach in South Africa and and sensing a great happiness for God. So that's that's a moment um, which he keeps with him and is is very important to him. But then um, it seems like that's still a step away from having those those theories, the language that you might need to to teach about God, to present God, to say we this is how we this is what I know that God is like. Um, how how do you think I mean I don't want to put this is perhaps my way of thinking about it. And if you think about it in a different way, then let me know. But um, how do you think we move from those experiences, reading scripture, experiences like on the beach there, to a kind of robust knowledge, maybe? I think preparedness to teach is is a very interesting way of describing that I mean then it's sort of sense there's a sense of you understand it and and that's what Dallas presumes to have here in in this book is I I know God I'm going to tell you straightforwardly this is what you can expect of him In, in those pages that we're looking at, I notice, um, I notice or observe three threads in Dallas's, uh, and I don't know what to describe this as, theological method for okay. being able to speak, to, be, to being able to speak about God. Mm-hmm. And as I untangle those three threads, and let me let me just note note them. I think the one thread is that he moves from, you know, from human experience and how we experience life, and then he kind of, you know, if we have moments of joy, then God must infinitely have moments of joy, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that, you know, Dallas often does that, uh, particularly in hearing God as well. He looks at human relationships at its best. And then he moves from human relationships to the way that God 
relates to us personally in an yeah. infinitely better way. So the, so the one thread is moving from a human experience to God. Then there's an, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not a standalone. There's also the revisioning of God in terms of Jesus, in terms of, of, um, in terms of what Jesus says about God and how Jesus related to God, as well as how Jesus in his own person reveals who God is. He who has seen yeah. me has seen the Father. So that's the second thread. And yeah. then, there's the, then there's the third thread of biblical language itself. And for mm -hmm. Dallas, particularly the language of the psalmist. Mm -hmm. So those three threads seem to underlie the confidence that Dallas has in talking about God. And he seems to draw from those three um, from those three threads of theological method. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I just want to add one more to that. Uh, okay. And that's not... Please. Uh, but, you know, there's also this, you know, I think of the psalmist and I'm, oh, I, I didn't prepare this, you know, um, great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. No one can fathom his mystery. I think it's Psalm 147. So that's okay. using that's using the psalmist's own language to say that there is no one who can fathom his mystery. So for mm -hmm. me, I think that in, in speaking about God, I think we need to hold a tension of not being overconfident. Hmm. Um, that we can speak of God, but we need to, we, there's also a not knowing dimension um, about God. And, I, and so that in speaking about God, there is a knowing dimension hmm. and a not knowing dimension. And hmm. for me, that, that sense of boundless mystery <laughs> I mm -hmm. all I always want to have in my own speech about God, and I'm I'm just I'm only proof texting that with the psalmist himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, thank you, Trevor. Um, I'll I'll try to recap. Um, way number one was. I'll say looking at your own soul, your own experiences in the world. And it's not entirely just an anthropomorphic, like, well, God must be a big version of me, but um, you do use clues from the scripture, such as joy. Um, Jesus says, you know, I give you my joy. So you, you use your own experience of joy to sort of, get some sense of what he is talking about, right? It's the one. So soul. The second one is um, looking at Jesus himself, his, his words and his um, actions. And the third one is the language in the Bible, say more broadly than just Jesus and the Psalms being a, a crucial um, book for that.
And then the last one is a perhaps um, a sort of a, a knowing how much we don't know <laughs> posture. And this is where I would like to add something here um, from d what I know of Dallas's philosophy and his study of, of Husserl. And um, Husserl, Husserl's understanding of knowledge was not a matter of, well, now we have every last bit of knowledge about something. Um, it was always a sense of adequacy of knowledge. We have enough to, well, okay, I need to, you, I, you have enough ob knowledge of this as a, as a book to, to deal with it as such. But there are so many aspects of it that, that still um, are unknown and unfathomable, unfathom, well, maybe not unfathomable, but they certainly aren't before my mind right now and that's um, if that's true of, of material objects or things that we experience here on on earth um, then why wouldn't it be um, true of God as well um, who is far less accessible to us than the objects that we live with in our, in our homes. Sure. Uh, thank you for that. I find that helpful. Really do. Yeah. Um, I really want to talk about philosophy with you, Trevor. And I see you're smiling because I know that... Um, um, but Dallas lands on philosophy here, and he drops British empiricism, the Kantian rationalist reaction to it in Germany, and big words, modernity. Um, let me just give this as an encouragement to people who are listening who are interested in those sorts of ideas. You, you, you hear the word... Kantian, you think, oh, please, you know, tell me more. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking, but um, some of Dallas's teachings in philosophy are now becoming available on conversatio.org, and we hope to be able to put out more of those, because um, there are more. It just takes a little bit of time, but um, that would be a wonderful place to dig in deeper to what he's trying to communicate here. I, I am going to attend those classes when, <laughs> when they get uploaded onto the Con Conversatio website. I'll be one of the first students uh, enrolling. Okay. Well, there is, there is a metaphysics one already there that complete as we have it and we'll have it and so you can already go and and listen to that one to you trevor as well as to you listening um but let's not make this a philosophy a podcast um because i am talking not to a philosopher but to a pastor 
somebody who God has given the vocation of helping his people forward in life to talk about God and um, we come to a section like this we come to the scriptures we have a lot of us a sort of default theology um, probably a mixture of good and bad things that are accurate things that are inaccurate and um, and as I said in my little introduction these uh, default theologies can be very powerful in our lives and you know in a sense something of your default theology is what reacted sharply to what Dallas was presenting here um, so what are ways that we can deal with our default theologies and move on to something better and I'll just be so bold as to say more suited to our life here on earth I think um, thank, uh, uh, thanks Mark I think that it might I think sometimes the starting point is just to recognize what I what I do believe you know what is my default um, so I think coming to terms with what I've been taught over the years, hmm. the pictures of God that have come my way via my culture, church, school, etc. I think, I think, I think a good starting point sometimes is simply to pay attention to what I do believe uh, in relation to God. Um, hmm. And to give that some serious thought. <laughs> um, and I would encourage that. I think in terms of the maybe of if we use the language of healing some of my default uh, picture, I think there are a number of pathways that we can go through. So can I just can I interrupt you for a moment? Um, please, please. On discerning our default theology what would what would you do there like if i woke okay. up on a monday well, morning and right i wanted sure. to do that sure well I, I think that i think that it can it can be helpful to ask myself you know when 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 life doesn't turn out the way i wanted to turn out when mm. my life crashes when things go really wrong in my life what do i immediately think of God about God hmm. immediately hmm. Hmm. and I think that that kind of immediate question brings to the surface I think quite quickly what I think about God particularly in moments like that you know God must be punishing me what did I do wrong to deserve this um, etc etc I think those kind of and those kind of immediate thoughts are really giveaways they are clues hmm as to the default so mm -hmm. that would be a, that would be a little bit of my response to you um i think my default 
revealed itself not so much in that way, but it revealed itself in the way I was living. I constantly felt I, you know, I needed to somehow please God and mm. please God with, um, you know, I grow and, and to some extent it's not totally healed. You know, I needed to get God's attention somehow mm. uh, by, you know, producing or working hard, um, pleasing others. Somehow I needed to please God. Um, and that if I didn't put in my effort, you know, somehow God wasn't going to show up for me. So it was, it was more in my own way of living that um, kind of revealed a default, a default picture of God. Hmm. So that would be my immediate response to, 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 you know, to what you said. And I think then in terms of the healing of that, and I'm just going to kind of brainstorm myself here. You know, I think sometimes it's sometimes good for me to get in, to get in touch and with my experiences of being loved through my life. Um, and then, and then to allow those experiences of being loved through my life to become a little bit of a stepping stone that if this is how I've been loved by a human being, how much more, infinitely more, does God love me? And so again, it's that one strand of theological method of starting with human experience. Um, so I would, I would suggest pay attention to experiences of being loved, my experiences of enjoyment of life, and then to actually believe that God could, could be sharing this enjoyment with me. Uh, so, so starting with human experiences of being loved, of enjoyment, of feeling really alive can be helpful. Um, I, think, I think another thread is paying attention to the gifts of my life and to what is, you know, that I live each day within a context of gifts, starting with the gift of my own life, that mm. actually I have the gift of being. Mm -hmm. And that, it, that just fills me often with a sense of wonder and joy that I have, I have been, to use my language here, desired into being by a God who wants me to be here and that I'm not here by mistake, that my mm. life isn't random, um, that I occupy a space in the universe that no one else occupies and you mm -hmm. occupy a space that no one mm. else, you know, it just opens my life up a little bit to a sense of wonder and a sense of, ah, oh, I think, I dare to think the thought that God enjoys my existence and that I bring joy to God. Hmm. And somehow that begins to set in motion processes that are very deep in hmm. terms of 
thinking differently about God, but even more importantly, relating differently to God. Mm -hmm. That I'm relating to the God who actually has desired me into being and yeah. wants me to and wants me to be here. Yeah. And that and that just changes the nature of relations between God and myself. Yeah. And I could say far much, far much more, but let, let me stop there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember once that you described a discipline, um, spiritual discipline, in which, which involved dancing in the kitchen. <laughs> right. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> yes, you know, it's, in, uh, I think when this whole change began in my life of sparked by that sharp reaction and then you know exploring the life of Jesus discovering that Jesus is a man of sorrows and a man of joy and that Jesus once said you know I've said all these things to you so that my joy can be in you I knew that that joy wouldn't fall on my head that mm. I needed to I needed to, I needed to open myself up to joy as well mm. as ask for it and um, I, I very consciously, and it's, it's, it remains a part of my life, very consciously wanted to shape my life around some practices of joy. And one of them, which is the one you're referring to, which is still part of my life, is that when certain, you know, we often have, a, we often have music in the house, and um, when when Ed Sheeran comes on, I don't know if Ed Sheeran rings a bell for you, but when Ed Sheeran comes on, uh, Debbie and I, Aunt Debbie's the woman I'm married to, we have pledged that we will meet in the kitchen um, and dance. So whenever Ed Sheeran comes on the radio or Sam Smith, one or two others, uh, we, we have pledged to drop everything that we do, meet in the kitchen, and dance and somehow you know somehow that dance takes me to what you were saying earlier mike that at the heart of this universe there is someone better than the pain and the sorrow mm. and the and the heartache because there have been moments of heartache and heartbreak recently for us and yet we have continued to meet in the kitchen to dance that there hmm. is something better than the heartache and the heartbreak mm -hmm. thank you trevor um I'll expect your dance video. Um, you could send that to me on, on email. Right. And we'll just we'll just start it right right now, okay? Just Okay. There. I hope you all enjoy that. Um no, but thank you for being here and, and helping us to um 
yeah, unpack these these few pages in a in a way with life. I hope so. And thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been I've enjoyed this immensely. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And to all of you, um, thank you for being here. Thanks for getting all the way to the end of the podcast or video or whatever it is you're interacting with us on. Um, please subscribe. Um, write nice notes to us in the comments. Um, find Trevor over at his uh, Twitter account where he posts night prayers. And um, yeah, check out that almost monthly newsletter um and if you'd like you can become a friend and uh, we'll send one of these books to you oh i i should have said this earlier you do kind of have to live in the u.s or europe um we're actually not that good at maybe we can get them a few of them to south africa and if you're listening from there we can send out some of those but um anyway see you next time bye <coughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Um, my editorial skill is getting better. Um, but. Um, oh, I've noticed that.